Podcastle, episode 155, for May 3rd, 2011, Tending the Mori Birds, by Carolyn M. Yoakum. Rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm your host and co-editor Dave Thompson, and I want to know what's the worst job you've ever had. Think about it for a while. Ever feel like you're trapped doing a job you don't love, like a bird in a cage? That your job is maybe too insignificant? Honestly, sometimes I wonder what job I've had that I actually liked. Sure, I get to come and talk to all of you every week and bring you another story, but you don't understand all the stuff that happens behind the scenes here at PodCastle. Trying to magic the brooms into carrying the buckets for me? Shoveling the dragon manure over the sides of our floating castle? Watch out below! And being thaumaturgically remade so I can care for the slake moths. What? They're an endangered species. My dad's a doctor, and early on in my life, I decided I didn't want to follow in his footsteps because of the insane amount of time he was working. Getting called into the ER at 2 or 3 in the morning. My dad was always very supportive of my brother and I choosing to do other things, and I always appreciated that. But sometimes, these days, I wonder what I was thinking. If we go out to dinner with my parents, it's almost guaranteed we'll see someone whose life he saved. Heck, we've been on vacation before, out of state and someplace like Hawaii, and people have stopped to shake his hand. I've worked as a lifeguard at the front desk of a hotel, as a substitute teacher, and as a technical writer. Honestly, none of them have been horrible. Well, there were some horrible days as a substitute teacher, and in some alternate universe, my memoir, True Confessions of a Substitute Teacher, will be a national bestseller, but generally, I'm grateful that I've been able to support my family. Still, sometimes I wish my day job felt a little more important or meaningful. I'm not complaining too much. My night job, talking to all of you and bringing you stories week after week at PodCastle, is one of the best and most significant things I've ever been a part of. As you can probably guess, today's story deals with an incredibly difficult job. That said, it's also one of incredible responsibility. After a couple weeks of tragic disasters or disastrous tragedies, we've decided to bring you a bittersweet little story. Podcastle's very proud to present Tending the Mori Birds by Carolyn M. Yoakum. Ms. Yoakum's fiction has appeared in Asimov's Greatest Uncommon Denominator and Fantasy Magazine, where this story was originally published. Her novelette, Stonewall Truth, was nominated for a Nebula Award this year. You can find her online at carolynyoakum.com. The story is read for you by our old podcastle favorite, Rajan Khanna, who read N.K. Jemison's The Narcomancer for us last, and whose own story, Card Sharp, was recently run here just a couple months ago. You can visit him online at rajankhanna.com. So head up to the roof, unlock your cage, and enjoy the story. Tending the Mori Birds by Carolyn M. Joachim Prem sucked in just enough air to mumble curses as he exhaled. Every day it was harder and harder to force his tired old body up the stairs. He was grateful for the cool breeze when he finally reached the roof. Orange light from the setting sun spilled through the railing, casting sideways shadows like prison bars on the dusty ground. A moray bird waited for him on the railing, its claws wrapped around the wood. The dying light accentuated the patch of red feathers at the base of its slender neck, the only color on an otherwise black bird. A bloody-throated moray bird, harbinger of death. It smelled like licorice. 
From the wire cages to his right, other Mori birds cooed to welcome their returning friend. Prem approached the bird and picked it up. The black feathers had absorbed the day's light and were warm in his hands. A folded slip of paper was tied to the bird's leg. It held only a name. Kurek. The bird stretched its wings and flew around the rooftop in a circle before returning to his hand. Prem put the bird into a cage and leaned up against the railing. In the alley below, men and women wrapped in brightly colored silks hurried home from the market. He had seen Kurek from his rooftop many times before. His walk had been slow with age, but he had worn the bright yellow of sunshine in life. Now he would walk no more, for the Mori bird had brought its name, and Prem had read it. He looked down again at the paper. Kurek was so old that the name was written not by Prem's hand, but by his father's. Across the alley, yellow lamplight streamed out from a second-story window. Prem told himself, as always, that he shouldn't look, but he stretched himself farther into the alley to get a better view. The grain of the railing pressed through his shirt and into his skin. Most people would not have found his neighbor beautiful. Her skin was the color of spiced coffee, laced with scars that cut across her back. The scars were lighter, like cream, whipped to the surface sometime in the darkness of her past. Prem imagined that she tasted like the strong brew, bitter coffee sweetened with sugar and spiced with cardamom. She was missing part of one foot. When she walked, she wobbled slightly to the left and had to correct her course with each step. But her eyes were dark and deep, and there were places where her skin was still soft. The triangle of skin above her collarbone called to him. He longed to run his fingers down her neck and let them come to rest in that small patch of skin. Tonight, water dripped from her hair and trickled down her body, flowing in the space between the scars. She'd been swimming in the river, and now her entire body cried as if to mourn Carrick's death. She dried herself with a white towel, never once looking up at him. Did she know he watched? Did she care? He tore himself away from the railing and ladled water from a barrel into the dishes in the bird cages. The Mori birds required little care. It was the emotional burden of the birds that taxed him. So much responsibility weighed down on his shoulders. If he did not read the birds, the dying could not die. Decades ago, father suffered for seven days before Prem gathered the courage to go and face his first bird. Father had refused to let anyone else read the name, had insisted that Prem would be the one to take on his curse. The memory still stung. Prem was not like his father. He could not inflict his pain on another. Certainly not a child. He'd sent away his wife and their three sons years ago, driven them away with his bitterness, protected them. Now he was always alone, here on the rooftop, surrounded by the darkness of his birds. He glanced down at the slip of paper, now wrinkled from being crushed in his sweaty hand. At least Kurek was old and not a child. He went back to the railing and saw that his neighbor had wrapped herself in vibrant red fabric. Her scars were hidden and her eyes sparkled. Her lightness warmed him and he made his way back down the stairs. The next morning, Prem stood at the bottom of the stairs. The climb was daunting, but he could hear one of the Mori birds screeching, so he pushed himself upwards one step at a time. His heart beat fast in his chest and his breath came in shallow gasps. He paused for a moment a few steps from the top and leaned against the textured stucco of the wall. His pulse slowed a little, and he continued to the roof. During the night, the birds had lost some of their darkness. At dawn, the birds held the promise of life. Near the center of the wall of cages, one of the birds called to him. Scree! Scree! The sound was quieter now. The bird could see that he'd come. He opened the cage, and the bird flew out and perched on the top of his head. Its claws tickled his scalp. He let the bird guide him through the alleys and narrow roads to a building on the far side of town. 
When he drew close, he could hear the wailing of a newborn baby. A man, the child's father, let him in. The child was a girl. Once Prem was inside, the Mori bird hopped down from his head and perched on the bed where the mother held her newborn. Prem pulled out a slip of paper and a section of string. She is our third child, the mother said. We name her Tejala. Prem wrote the name down, and the Mori bird flew to his arm when he was finished. He folded the paper in half and wrapped it around the bird's leg. Tejala, may her bird fly far and lose itself in the forest, Prem said. The words were ritual, but he meant them. He wished that the birds would stay in the forest forever. He took the bird to the doorway and released it. It flew off to the east. And your bird as well, the father replied. Will you stay for coffee? Prem shook his head. He was tired, but he preferred to rest in his own home. The man had only offered to be polite anyway. Thank you, but no. The man pressed two gold coins into Prem's palm, payment for his services. He set out across town. It was late in the morning now, and the sun pounded down on him, cooking his flesh until sweat oozed out. When he neared his house, he saw his neighbor kneeling in her garden. She was beautiful there in the dirt, peaceful. Her fingers plucked the weeds from the earth, kicking up dust that settled onto the perspiration on her skin, coating her in a thin layer of mud. Prem took a step towards her and opened his mouth to speak, but then thought better of it. He passed her in silence and went into the shade of his house to rest. Two nights had passed without birds on the railing, but on this night Prem had a heavy heart as he climbed the stairs. His legs were heavy, resisting each step. Before he even reached the top, he smelled the licorice scent of the birds, stronger than usual in the cool air of dusk. He hated the smell and wondered if death would taste like licorice when it came. The sky was the deep blue of an ocean at midnight, and the stars began to cut through the darkness as points of light. He was late. Three mori birds perched wing to wing on his railing. His heart sank. Today he would take his comfort first before he read the names. The dying could wait at least that long. He shooed the birds aside and leaned over the railing. Across the alley, light poured out from her window, but she was not there. Was one of the birds hers? She was his only spark of light against the black feathers of his mori birds. He looked back at the birds, at the scraps of paper tied neatly to their feet. He didn't know his neighbor's name, hadn't wanted to know, had avoided the knowledge. A girl in a dream should have no name. Prem looked back to the window, but she still did not appear. Tonight he was alone with death, and one of the names on his cursed mori birds might belong to her. He couldn't bear to read them. He couldn't take that chance. He wanted her, the reality, and not the dream. Perhaps she sensed his wish. When he turned, she was there, standing at the top of the stairs with tears in her eyes. How had she known to come? Was it just that she had seen the birds on the railing so late? He studied her face, searched her eyes for any sign of sickness. Maybe she knew it was her time and she had come to say goodbye. They're waiting. Her voice was raspy and low as though her throat were full of sand and the sound had to force its way through. Yes, three people were waiting to die. Did her voice always sound that way or was she sick? His heart ached at the thought of losing her. Her eyes were flat, out of focus, as if she was gazing into the distance and her breath was shallow and quiet. He couldn't bring himself to read the names. She saw him glance at the birds and walk to the railing. After studying the birds for a moment, she took one into her hands. She read the name it carried. Somewhere, someone died. It was not her. She removed the name from the second bird. Another death. Was it peaceful? Prem held his breath and waited for her to read the final name, but she did not. 
She put the bird back into its cage with the name still attached, unread. When you're ready, she said. Prem reached out to her. She was his dream, and she gave him the strength to bear his sorrow. He could not leave her like this, dying but never dead. It would be so cruel, so heartless. The bird, her bird, stared at him from its cage. It was her cage, too. She had given him the key and become his prisoner. Could he release her? He went to her, held her in his arms as he had done in his mind so many times. He ran the tips of his fingers down the sides of her neck till they rested above her collarbone, and the skin was as smooth as he'd always imagined. I don't even know your name. Serenia. The name made her real to him. It made her scars ugly because her past was ugly, but her imperfections made her beautiful. Serenia knew the pain the birds brought, but she came to him tonight and bore the burden of death. He kissed her forehead, her neck, the exquisite triangle of skin he'd admired for so long. She pressed her face against his shoulder, crying. He wished he could hold her forever, console her, but there was only one thing he could do to take away her pain. He brought out the bird, took the paper from its leg. The bird flew a slow circle around the rooftop before landing on Serenia's arm. He looked down at the slip of paper and saw, not her name, but his. Death didn't taste like licorice. It tasted like Serenia's skin, coffee and spice with sweetened cream. And welcome back. Life is so finite. It's incredible the scope of this one. We see it when Prem writes down the baby's name to when the Mori birds come to his rail. There's no telling when the bird with our name on it will return, when our name will be read. All we can hope is that we make the time in between count. Let's switch gears and take a walk down in the underground for feedback this week and talk Elizabeth Engstrom's Honing Sebastian, read by Kane Lynch. A dystopian story about the haves, the have-nots, and one teenager's choice of whether or not to stick with the status quo. On our forum, it drew quite a few comparisons to Orwell's 1984. And I won't lie, when Anna and I bought this story, we knew it was pretty bleak, and so we're pleased by some people's reactions, like Scattercat, who said, <laughs> that was nice and vicious. Unblinking said, it hit home because it's just plain true, but I would have liked to see positive change instead of maintaining the status quo. This world needs a revolution, but as with other revolutions, the choice to stand against the established power is an infinitely difficult one. In this case, if he rebelled, he'd just end up being tortured like Slicer and would die soon after. It sure wouldn't help him survive personally, but maybe he could be a martyr in some sense if others saw his example. Revolutions tend to gorge on blood, and whatever the outcome, if you're one of the dead, you don't get any less dead, even if the revolution causes change. One of the interesting points of discussion was the use of slang in this story. Some people thought using words like rinse, grinds, and paper was perhaps obnoxious, while others among us consider the words to be like strawberries, and the slang to be the chocolate that they're dipped in. That was Anna Schwind, by the way, but I do love some chocolate-covered fruit. Thanks for all the comments on this story. It's nice to know that we can pull a downer of a story on you every once in a while. Let us know what you thought of this week's story at forum.escapeartist.net. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. 
Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping the bird with PodCastle's name wrapped around its ankle flying for a long, long time. If you can't afford to give right now, blog, tweet, or tell a friend about us. Thanks. That's our show for this week. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, thanks so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in a week when CSE Cooney takes us out to a very different kind of frontier with her story Household Spirits. Until then, smile, celebrate life, and we'll be back to join you in a week. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Sylvia Plath said, Everyone in me is a bird. I am beating all my wings.